Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to bring another great episode for you tonight. We've got a, a, an excellent topic to, to broach here, and we're going to do that here in just a second. But uh, the person who puts all these topics together, who gathers our fabulous guests, has to be brought on the show first. And that, of course, is Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Hey there, Jamie. Well, I've been kind of snowbound the last two days, been kind of afraid of going out because we got the big dump yesterday, probably more than I've seen in one day in a long time. And it's staying there because it's been really cold. So we got, I don't know, maybe six inches, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, it is when you're trying to drive in it. And uh, Joe, we heard it kind of pass through you, right? Yeah, but I, I I didn't get anything but a bunch of rain and uh, cold weather, but the rain had already passed, so it was just cold. Okay, and Jamie, you got the rain. Yeah, we've got all kinds of rain happening right now. It's been it's been wet for the last couple of days, but it's pouring right now. It was recorded on uh, Thursday night, the 19th of January, so uh, it'll pass through and um, be gone by this time tomorrow, I'm sure. So it's all good. We need the rain. It's good. Yeah, well, California doesn't, <laughs> and strangely enough, the, the state that's been under drought for so long is getting, I mean, they just had wave after wave after wave, so that's crazy. You know, I saw a stat, one of the reservoirs in central California, even with all the flooding and rain they've had, is still over 100 feet below um, filled stage or whatever they call it for reservoirs, but 100 feet below where they'd like it to be. And that's that's astounding considering how much rain they've gotten. Uh certainly is. Yeah. Uh, maybe some pockets of the state that didn't get as much. I don't know. Yeah. This strange. But we have Greg Scott with us tonight. He's on my IDMC team. He's a deputy commander and a paramedic and a whole bunch of other things. So welcome, Greg. And why don't you tell him a little bit more about what you do? Well, thank you for the opportunity to join you tonight. And um my uh, background is I've been in healthcare 37 years, uh, started out as a paramedic, licensed, still licensed as a paramedic um, in the state of Illinois, Haven't, have not functioned as a paramedic for many years. I've been an RN for almost 30 years now um, and have um, intertwined those two disciplines and licenses together. So I, I hold uh, RN licenses in three different states. Um, and then um, also have a background in emergency preparedness. So I uh, have done some things with um, emergency management and, and uh, disaster preparedness over my career as well. And, and um, jo- excited to join you tonight to, to speak about IDMC. Well, you and Jamie have that in common, paramedic and RN. So there you go. And Joe's a doc, and I'm a retired paramedic. So, so what we're going to talk about is, is again, putting together a team. Um, I've got to look at hurricane season and putting together a resource pool, if you will. And, and Joe, of course, being a USAR doc, he can reflect on how the feds do it, which naturally wouldn't be the same for us as a nonprofit. But Greg, first, why don't you talk about what you do with the team? And you're very involved with the Ukraine effort. Sure. Thank you. So um, currently I'm a deputy commander um, of IDMC and uh, 
handle a lot of the um, uh, human resource and, and recruitment and onboarding of new team members and volunteers, um, as well as logistics. Um, the logistics section chief reports up under me, um, and so I help out the logistics side of the response, um, specifically for the Ukraine humanitarian mission. Well, when we're talking about, you know, here is volunteers. Um, basically, that's basically that's what we're talking about in this arena. You know, we're so focused on the international arena. Now we got to switch gears on this. So when we're looking to put a team together, we're really talking about what kind of team do we want and what kind of roles do we want people to be in. Um, like with Joe, he's got search and rescue and medical, and he manages that. I've been on a DMAT, so that, of course, is medical. And Jamie's been a volunteer firefighter, so he's kind of in that same arena. But we're looking at all kinds of different roles uh, nationally that we need to have available from people wanting to, you know, just move stuff and, and be basically workers to medical folks. So there's a lot to be said about that. So given that, Greg, what do you think basic requirements should be for somebody other than just a load and go role? Yeah, so that's a great question. Thank you for asking that, Sam. And so, you know, with IDMC, um, it's really about collaborations. Um, it's about supporting collaboratively other NGO, not-for-profit organizations that are doing actual response missions. Now, IDMC does do some support missions directly with training uh, mission assignments and some of the logistics uh, movement and so forth. But for the most part, we're connecting the dots. Um, so, we are uh, an element that is uh, helping match a, uh, a requester or recipient of some sort of service or, 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 or a piece of equipment um, request or something of that sort with a potential donor that has that resource available to fill that need. Um, and then uh, from an operational aspect, uh, from training um, with specialized training of hazmat, uh, some of the specialized um, combat uh, casualty uh, care um, training, uh, going over and providing that sort of training. And then having those support, you mentioned in the background, those support roles. So those are individuals that may not even have some kind of specialized training but they want to volunteer to help IDMC. So they're able to fill some of those um, uh, roles to support our logistics and operations side with being able to uh, do inventory tracking and, and helping making sure when we're moving equipment um, or, or moving some form of asset um, to fill a request, um, some individuals that don't have a background in emergency preparedness or medical or health, they may be uh, doing a mission support role. 
um, in the background and and helping in that manner. So there is just a and uh, from our finance section, you, you know, individuals that have a financial background. Uh, we have a legal back, you know section. So there's you know uh, individuals that might have a legal background. So there's a wide variety and assortment of individuals um, that might serve a volunteer role. And so we just recommend if someone is truly in, interested in, in volunteering uh, for IDMC, that they go to the website, idmc.us, and apply uh, directly through there and send a, a, you know, a resume in for us to review, and then we'll reach out to that individual and have a conversation um, to, to learn more about their background, learn about their um, interest and passion for helping uh, with supporting IDMC and volunteering. And then we look for with internal uh, where that individual might best be suited to volunteer in which section. And then we connect the individual up with that individual section chief um, to make sure that there is a, a need and a role for that person and make sure that this individual that's expressing interest would fill that need. And so that's kind of the process that we like to go through. But uh, to your earlier question, uh, you know, it's really wide open for individuals uh, with their backgrounds that could apply as a volunteer. Yeah, and the thing is, we never know. We're talking about hurricane season, but basically with all the tornadoes we've had, uh, you know, the Midwest teams have certainly responded to those. Um, there's so much that can happen in any given state. That's why we want to have people that are interested and available all over the country. But, Joe, how does, uh, you know, with USAR, and, of course, the federal government is, is much more complicated than we probably would need to be, but um, you don't have volunteers. You have paid members, but how does the the basic application and, you know, structure go as far as choosing who can be on the team. I know there's a lot of firefighters and so forth, right? Yeah, you're right, Sam. And, uh, uh, you know, by, by, uh, more complicated, you mean much more bureaucratic. Um, <laughs> FEMA does have, uh, a lot of folks who volunteer to participate on the teams. You're actually not, uh, a, uh, an active FEMA employee until you are deployed. Um, and other than that, you're a volunteer. Um, so the process there is um, a bit of a position description and then uh, asking for folks who have interest and skills in those positions. Uh, and, you know, then a vetting process looking for experienced folks uh, to try to make sure we get the right folks in the right jobs. Um, I, I think, though, to the comment earlier about the what I see is the huge value of the the you know in my in my role the non clinical people um, the the folks the the logistics guys that that you know get us where we need to be and get get the stuff that we need to do the job. Um, the, the clerical administrative and planning people who are doing all kinds of behind the scenes stuff that without that work, 
the system would simply not move forward. And, and I think it's incredibly important that the folks that are in those jobs really appreciate the one, the value that they add, but two, those are very complex, very important jobs, and they require a specific skill set. Uh, and so I think you need to cultivate that and, and search for it uh, in your uh, interested folks. I'll totally agree. Jamie, thoughts? I think we often overlook the people who are not in those clinical roles, those frontline roles. And I think that everyone would be very surprised to see the amount of back-end support people it takes to put one person on the street for a disaster response. And I'm sure Joe probably has some idea of what that number is, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's north of five or six people for every person that's out there on the field. Oh, good point. That makes a lot of sense. And Greg, I think, you know, logistics is, you know, we know on the federal teams that without logistics, we couldn't function at all. And that's one of the advantages, you know, one of the pieces of the team that we don't give enough credit for because they have the cash, they make sure we get it there, we make sure the people get there. And so that, what kind of requirements would we look for for someone interested in logistics? Just somebody that can lock and load or, or drive a truck or what? Yeah, I think that, you know, those elements you just mentioned are good qualities, but there's also other good qualities in a uh, a person that's a logistics. You know, when you think about logistics, uh, I like to think of a project manager. You, you know, it's really someone that's focused on on development, developing a needs assessment of someone's requested something. How are we going to fill that need? And then how do we get that need met in the most timely and efficient manner? And so our logistics team members some have medical backgrounds, some do have emergency uh, management uh, backgrounds, some do not. Um, some may have some business background from even like a factory and things because they're they're working in a logistics setting in their you know full time uh, careers or maybe they're retired from that. Um, and so and you think about trucking companies and shippers um, with shipping, um, you know, they're, that's all about logistics. Um, so it might be someone that has that background that would be great in a logistics volunteer role um, because they know how to move stuff. They know how to find stuff, they know how to fix a problem, and they know how to, to move that in the most efficient manner. And that's really what logistics is all about. True, true. And it had got very complicated with Ukraine because now we're looking at not only acquiring things, which we might be able to do locally or working with other organizations to get things, but then we have to get them all the way across the world. So, you know, for the Ukraine mission, that's been really complicated, but it, it logs us definitely our, our busiest section, and we were lucky to have really good people doing that. Um, Yes, Jamie, Jamie mentioned the need for coordination, and, and that is 
probably the key word in our organization because we started out very small. We started out with two people, then three, then four, and kind of did that for years. And then all of a sudden, I don't know. Do you have any idea, Greg, of how many people we have now in our in our organization? Not including the, you know, partners. Yeah, not including the partners. It it ebb and flows. Again, uh, being a, a 100% volunteer organization, um, we have individuals that are on the roster um, that have had some life happen to where work has, you know, pulled them away um, and refocused, but they're still wanting to remain engaged. So they remain on our roster. So that number is constantly ebbing and flowing. Um, and so, you, you know, if you say, a core number. I mean, there's there's probably about 20 uh, uh, individuals that are core, um, but then you expand out from that of individuals that are ebbing and flowing and doing some of those background support roles um, intermittently. Um, and so that's what I would say. Um, if you expand out the 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 wonderful part about IEM, IDMC is the, the collaborative nature um, of the organization. And so through all the, the networks of all the, the volunteers of IDMC, we've pulled together this um, large network of collaborative partners. Um, and so if you would expand out on that, I mean, the number would be into the hundreds. Um, but obviously those are not IDMC volunteers, but they are partners. And so we'll reach out to partners. Like, for example, from the logistics we were talking about, we have two national um, uh, transportation organizations that has fleets of semis. Um, that are running coast to coast constantly doing regular shipping. Um, and so those two organizations have stepped forward to IDMC and said, hey, when, when you have a need to move something across country, let us know and we'll work through our logistics and we'll get that load on one of our semis that's got space and move that to wherever you need it moved to. And so those are the kind of relationships we've built to kind of expand out IDMC's uh, bandwidth. And then those collaborative partners now are starting to work together. So we're starting to connect. And so like uh, an example is I've, I'm working with one of our uh, newest partners um, at, that is having some logistics issues in in country over in, in Poland, Ukraine with shipping products and getting them to the end destination. So I'm working on connecting and, and building a relationship with one of our other partners. So those two partners can work together because that other partner has a solid transportation network in to the country over there to get things into where they need to be um, to meet needs. And so that's the, the beauty of IDMC and how we work together. So hopefully that helps explain it a little bit. 
It does, and collaboration and coordination. I mean, we have so many good partners now that they have strengths and we have strengths. And sometimes by, you know, complementing each other's strengths, we have a much stronger team together. But Jamie, you mentioned something about coordination. What were you thinking? Well, I, I you know, it, this story comes up again and again because it, it really in, impacted me when Joe was talking about it once as a member of an IST um, and some some hurricane response several years ago. I can't even remember which one it was, Joe, but you talked about how important it was to have that list of local people to solve certain problems that you ran into, whether it was supplying transportation or had access to a backhoe or, you know, these, you know, or or some other kind of piece of equipment that was going to be needed by some part of the federal response team. And I think that kind of coordination role is something that can be done by somebody without a clinical background, but, but somebody who possesses just basic um, and and valuable organizational skills, the ability to to look at you know a multiple multitude of different pieces of information and start putting the puzzle together that says, oh, if I can grab this here and this here and this here, this person can bring it all together and and make it work for our team. And I, that's what I was thinking about, you know, that type of of um, coordination role. Joe. Uh, I think Jamie hit on it beautifully. You know, uh, uh, I really I see many of those roles as people who understand how to navigate the system. Um, you know, we, we see it in disasters all the time, as we've talked about before. People are not in disasters very often, and they they know what they need. They just don't know how to get it. And so you need folks that understand, uh, hey, I got a buddy that I can call and he can tell me where to, where to reach out to or, you know, whatever. It, it's not really much different in the healthcare world, right? I, I think it's, it, it's so complex, convoluted, and complicated now uh, to navigate healthcare that you really need somebody to help you get through it, to ensure that you're being properly advocated for and taken care of and the right things are being done or getting done and uh, all of that sort of stuff. It's really no different in disaster. Uh, it, it's instead of needing you know, the right knee surgeon, now I need the right kind of bulldozer. Uh, and I still need somebody that knows how to get that and who to call and the paperwork to fill out and all that sort of stuff to make those things happen. Yes, very much so. Thanks, Joe. That makes perfect sense. So, Greg, how do we, you know, we're building this team. we got people all over the country. How do we best communicate with them? Because there's a lot of communication that needs to take place. That first contact, that, uh, you know, vetting of that person, um, answering all their questions. Uh, We probably need a database of who they are and what they do and what they're willing to do and where they live and all of that. What do you think about that? Yeah, so that's a, a great point, Sam. Um, you, you know, the, that pathway is um, now a lot of individuals that come to us are within the professional network of those that already volunteer. So that that would be ideal is that they've already been almost pre-vetted uh, by someone that's volunteering for IDMC, bringing someone forward. 
if that's not the case, if someone goes to the IDMC.us website and just below the the header is an opportunity to click if they want to volunteer now, they they sign that up. And I mentioned earlier that will bring up an email. They can attach a resume, submit it um, into us. Once we receive that. That's routed to myself um, that oversees the, the human resources. Um, Gary, that's also uh, one of the officers, he's one of the uh, commanders of IDMC as well. He and I will uh, review that, and we discuss it. We then look at our current uh, roster to determine uh, where this person's that's expressed interest in volunteering skill set and background would best be suited within IDMC's organization um, and within our command structure, then we would reach out to that section chief and say, do you have a current need that this person that's expressed interest would be able to fit? We desire to place anybody that's got a desire to volunteer. Um, but we do go through a vetting process. We do go through an interview process. Um, we want to make sure that it's a good fit for both the individual that has expressed an interest through the website as well as a good fit for IDMC. Um, if, if there is a medical background, if there's a specialty area like they have applied because they say, I have a hazmat credential and I want to help with hazmat training. Um, we're going to ask for some verification um, of those credentials um, as a part of the onboarding process on the interview uh, phase. Once we get through that interview phase, and we feel comfortable, the individual still feels comfortable and wants to volunteer for IDMC after they've learned more about what's involved. Um, and then we start to go through the onboarding process to where we get them set up with an email with uh, secure communications access, um, and, and then we introduce them to the, we set up a meeting with the section chief that they're going to be assigned to so they can start to build a relationship. Um, and that's really the typical onboarding, the interview uh, post application and the onboarding process. Um, and then once from there, then it's really they're turned over to that section chief um, and, and deputy section chief for wherever they're going to be uh, residing within the organization, and they start to work with them directly then. Um, and so that's really the process. Jamie, question? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I first joined the local fire department and became you know, a member there and, and went through the process. And one of the things that was most frustrating to me was – not having my expectations managed particularly well. We, you know, how quickly was I going to be able to be re receive the training or the necessary onboarding information needed to actually start doing something useful? Um, and that that may be part of that expectation too. Is what is something useful, and 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 how do we explain the process to people? Can you talk a little bit about that, Greg? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question and a great comment. Actually, a great observation because um, I really, when I when I have that initial conversation with an individual, I want them to feel at ease. Um, I, I I also though want to um, garnish what they know about IDMC. Um, most likely, either. They have heard about it from someone that's already volunteering and involved in the organization, or they've only uh, know as much as they've read on the website. If that's the case, I want to explain about what the organization is, what it does, and I really try to level set about what the role of a volunteer for IDMC looks like. And so I want them to understand you know, that it it is a volunteer role um, and that how that works within IDMC's structure. Um, if they have a background in, in public safety or emergency management um, or healthcare and have some incident command uh, training already, then um, it's probably going to be uh, a less of an explanation. But if it's someone that's from a non-public safety background, then I'm gonna to have to explain and, and help them understand what the incident command structure's uh, all about. And then we go through all those different steps um, that I mentioned earlier, but I tried to explain up front about what the timeline looks like for the interview, for the review process, for the onboarding process. Um, we, we move, we're, probably less bureaucracy um, than what was mentioned with the federal teams. Um, we uh, move pretty quickly um, because if someone's got an interest in volunteering, we want to get them plugged in uh, to the most appropriate um, placement. Um, but there is some steps that need to go through, and I try to explain that all up front so there's a level set and a level playing uh, field that they understand. So that answer the question or help? I believe so. Joe, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think Jamie uh, hit on a great, a greatly important topic. And, you know, I, I see this not only, uh, well, particularly in the disaster world, uh, because everybody uh, thinks, uh, everybody, I'm, obviously I'm speaking in broad terms here, but a, a lot of folks come to uh, volunteer for disaster work and think they're going straight to ground zero and they're going to be right into it. And, uh, you know, they, they just simply, they don't know what they don't know there. And I think taking the time with those folks up front to be very clear uh, about one setting expectations and timelines and the reason and the amount of training that are going to be necessary to get folks to that point if that's where they want to go and the need to understand you know ics and field safety and um, just the basics of how things work um, it, it's not very showy or flashy, but it, it's what keeps you alive. And it's actually what makes you a functional responder that can actually do a lot of good in the field. 
and of course, training is is one of our most important topics on the show for any number of reasons. So we would have to look at what role they're going to be in and what kind of training we might want them to have for that specific role, be it medical or logistics or whatever else. And fortunately, as far as ICS and that kind of thing, we have the FEMA training available that we can send them uh, to do and so forth and so on. So training is, is huge. Right, Jamie? That's what we do. <laughs> it absolutely is. And, um, you know, it's it's one of the things we focus on all the time. We always seem to come back to it, not just because Paragon Medical Education Group is our sponsor, but also because it is really a necessary part of any type of response group is the proper training to get the job done. And that's one of the things I think Joe and the group over there does a, just a fantastic job of is, is bringing people with the experience and the expertise to come in and train people about what has happened in past disasters and, and try to share some of that knowledge so that when they encounter that once-in-a-career incident that is going to devastate their community, that they're prepared for what they're going to see and, and prepared for how they can best respond. Um, Joe, is that a good representation of what you all do? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great representation, <laughs> Jamie. Thanks. Uh, we obviously like to talk to folks so that they can understand the importance of those things and, and the reason that we spend time on them. Uh, and so we would ask them to reach out to us at Paragon Medical Group on the web or Paragon Medical Group on Facebook, or they can always get us to the Disaster or uh, Disaster Podcast or the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Excellent. And Greg, thanks for coming on the show today and, you know, and talking about this. I think these are some important topics to, to prepare people for whatever they may be doing, whether it's as a volunteer or as a paid member of a team. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into getting them prepared for the process. Um, where can people reach out to you at IDMC to uh, find out more about um, how they can um, volunteer for an organization like that? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, IDMC.us uh, is the main landing web page for the organization. And uh, just scroll down just a, a small fraction be uh, below the uh, organizational logo at the top of that page, and they can volunteer, uh, sign up to volunteer right from that web page. Um, and it'll bring up an opportunity for them to send us an email um, and attach a resume to that email so that we get it in a secure inbox and can review it then. Excellent. And I will have that link in the show notes. And you're absolutely right. I'm looking at it as I speak right now. Uh, you scroll right down below that initial image and there's links there to donate, to join IDMC, to sign up, to volunteer right there for you to uh, access as a listener to this show. And we hope you do that. We hope you at least educate yourself about what to do there um, and, and um, make, make yourself aware because maybe it's not right for you, but maybe someone you know is the perfect person to sign up and volunteer. So keep that in mind. Uh, Sam, where can folks find you? Well, speaking of IDMC, they can reach me at sbradley at idmc.us or certainly on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, certainly in our wonderful Facebook community and on disasterpodcast.com. How about you, Jamie? 
If you want to find me on social media, I'm under the handle PodMedic in most social media locations. And, of course, over at the Disaster Podcast Facebook group, as well as at DisasterPodcast.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show over there. There are links to subscribe below every player on each episode page and uh, that means if you have an ios device an android device if you want to subscribe by email uh, there are multiple ways to get the show and have the disaster podcast delivered to you each and every week um Good episode, Sam. I'm glad we had um, Greg on the show today and really talked about this. It's not something we've covered, not in, not recently at least. No, we haven't, and there, there's a lot to it. We just touched on the basics today. We could take any one of those topics and, and go for a good hour on it. So, And we appreciate Joe's input, too, uh, from the federal side. We love having Joe on, on the podcast. So, yeah, Greg, again, thank you very much. Um, we love our volunteers and we appreciate them and that's what makes the world run around in circles like it's supposed to so my thoughts for this is if you want to volunteer please do we'd love to have you 